said. That's what you said you were going to do. You know what, you fucker. All right. Ready? My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 80 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. And, yep. Uh, man, it's been a minute, but here we are back again. When did we put the last episode? Uh, April 6th oh, was the release of uh, Low Life. And right. we that was right after our Ryan Prowse interview. Uh-huh. And so we put it out like maybe the week of that, like April 1st. I can't. We... You know, it's cool though, man. List, listeners, I know people get annoyed. Here's the thing: we know that on paper, this is this is the facts. Facts, just the facts. When it comes to podcasts, people like reliability. Right. And at first, I didn't understand that, but that's because a lot of the podcasts I listen to were kind of themselves not very reliable. Uh-huh. But now I listen to more podcasts, and it is true that when they're not on time, or when they don't appear every two weeks. Well, that's what I mean on time. Like, a lot of podcasts I listen to are weekly, and they have a day and a time. Yeah. And literally, if they're not there the next day, I'm like, what the fuck are these fuckers? <laughs> these lazy what are you fuckers doing? doing. And, like, even ones that are, like, hard. Like, it's a complicated process to make this show that they're doing. Yeah. And they'll come on, and the show's just, like, a day or two days late. They're like, we're so sorry. Man. And then here we are. Fucking off! Two months will go by, and we're yeah. like, "Yeah, we're like, oh, I guess wait, we're back. I guess we got to talk, huh?" Yeah. So you know, many apologies, but what I will say is, we're we're making a solid effort here. We're going to try to be more uh, reliable, regular, whatever, however you want to think about it. We're going to try yes. to come out more. Yes, listening audience, we will act as one voice, <laughs> and we will work together. Yeah. To give to you the regularity you deserve out of Cinepunks, we're going to try. We and, shouldn't and, start these episodes with apologies, though. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like we shouldn't be doing that. I feel like every podcast starts with apologies. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. We are the greatest podcast in the world. We just don't. Singular greatest podcast if ever you, to if be you, created. If you measure the greatness of a podcast outside of regularity, right. we are the greatest podcast. Yeah. If you factor in regularity, we're like number four. Oh, God. I, I, would, gotta, you know, I would actually knock us down way further than that. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, I mean, take regularity out of the mix. Yeah. Every yeah. other podcast blows. Yeah. Whatever, totally true. Whatever you're listening to. <laughs> it's not as good. Just as think this. about one that really touched your heart or that you find really funny and charming, and you're like, man, I really care about these people in their lives. And then you're that like, that is dog shit. <laughs> that is actual dog shit. <laughs> no, I was going to say, when you think that, that's because you're listening to Cinepunks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God damn. Hey, uh, hey, so um, it's been a bit. We've been through April. Hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully you're good, still with us. Hopefully, you've had a good April. Uh, I mean, there's been other stuff. There's, there's been other a lot stuff of stuff for, for sure. So I don't feel that bad about it. I just like to open up with like, a, we get it. Yeah. And now we're moving on to uh, how have you been, man? I've been busy. You played a couple shows. We're probably going to cover this in our patented feature. <laughs> of which one? Which one would that well, be? Well, we'll Liam? get to it in a sec. We'll get oh, to it in oh a sec. okay, good, good. But I just wanted to say you you played a couple shows. I, I did, and I wanted to put out there did did uh, podcast people come out? Did fans of the podcast come out to uh, shows? Well, friend of the podcast Andrew Elijah, yeah, came out up, to Andrew? Uh, Andrew came out to our show last night with uh, the Lillingtons at the Boot and Saddle and Make War. Yeah, and uh, so he saw Krosky's for the first time, and uh, yeah, it was good to see him. Um, a couple other people were at the H two O show. Cool. Um, so overall, pretty well attended shows, which is not anything I'm used to. If we can be honest with each other, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm typically used to sing to an empty room, but here we well, are. I'm glad. I'm glad. doing different things. You you're, know, you're going to be exploding all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we get into our patented feature, right? 
I want to uh, upfront uh, thank the good people at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. XLVAC. Sponsor now. Dot com. Um, I'm, I'm a little less enthusiastic because I work there now, <laughs> and so it's also like my job, and I just came from there. Yeah. So part of me is kind of like, you know what? Fuck that place. I don't care. <laughs> um, the reality is that has nothing to do with you. It's actually the opposite. We are so professional. Yeah. And so on top of it. So good. That as an employee of this establishment, I am exhausted. <laughs> and honestly, if I was just thinking of myself and my own right. well-being. Yeah. I would say don't order shirts. Like whatever it is you're doing, I'm sure you have a cool band, cool podcast, a maybe. Podcast, yeah, or maybe you're part of like a, a LARPing group, right? Or any other group, really? Yeah, really. And perhaps you, you enjoy you breakfast love, with friends. You would love to have some branded merchandise: t-shirts, koozies, hats. For your sake, you uh-huh. should go to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations because no one w- is as professional, no one is as affordable, and no one else is as reliable as we are. However, for my sake, <laughs> fuck you. Go somewhere else. Don't come to us. I don't want to print your shit. I mean, I will. I to be to be fair. This I is the opposite it. of how you you thank an endorser. To be fair, this I won't. Is why. I won't be printing it, so you don't have to worry about. This me. is why we can't have nice things. Liam. I'll be folding it and putting it in a box, <laughs> and then loading the box. I'll count it to make sure it's the right number and put it in the box. <laughs> and the right sizes. At this point, well, now I'm I'm also burning and coating screens. Whoa, so I, I might burn you. the screen for you. Man. Then when it's I done, don't believe Chris gave you all this responsibility. It's too much, really. I keep telling him. <laughs> he's like, well, you work here now. You have to like learn things. I'm like, nah, dog. Not learning shit, dog. I'd like to be the, the bottom of the totem pole, please. <laughs> I mean, everyone says shit rolls downhill, but I don't know. <laughs> Not quite sure on that assessment <laughs> Um, no, really, they, they, you know, I say we, but really, I don't do any of the work, so I can actually confidently say they do great work. Um, <laughs> all of our shirts are printed there. If you've gotten any Cinepunk stuff or Loudfest Philly or horror business, yeah, all that is there. Um, and hopefully soon we'll have merch for other podcasts on our network as well. On but, our ever-growing network. Yeah. Um, so big thanks to them. Uh, it's time for you to go and get things printed there ASAP. XLVACX.com. Uh, I also want to bring up, before we jump into Whacking on Track, uh, I want to say this at the beginning, and I'll say it again at the end. Um, we're doing, <coughs> I say we, the Frank Banco Alehouse in Bethlehem is doing a series of Shaw Brothers films. Yep. May, June, July, August. Four movies Hooray. all together. So good. We are sponsoring them, um, and basically what that means is we'll be there, and I'll and. be doing an introduction. Hopefully doing a Q&A if people want to stick around for that. You know, we'll see what happens. I mean, if no one's there, I'm not going to just... just maybe it's we'll like, just talk. Are you in the back? Yeah. No, yeah, no. Yeah. Not going to happen. No. Uh, no and I'm doing... Going. I'm doing... Uh, part of the reason... Let me, let's be clear. A misconception seems to be from a couple people, not a lot, but a couple people, uh-huh. that I'm doing this because I'm some sort of Shaw Brothers expert. Which you are clearly not. No, 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 no. I mean, we've watched... A fuck ton of Shaw Brothers movies between the yeah. two of us. Yes. Like, we are very familiar with a lot of their work. However, we also like Wu Tang Clan. And, oh you yeah, know, yeah uh, obviously. Right. But I think what's important to say, and this is the reason I bring it up, is because it's also indicative of our show, is that what I like is research. What I like is learning something new. So, like for me, the opportunity wasn't just this is a cool thing happening near my house. And it's a way for us to get the word about Cinepunks and for us to engage with people around these cool movies. 
it's also there was an opportunity for us to learn, at least for me, and then for Josh, for whatever he can come to. Yeah. I think you're coming to a... I'm coming to all of them. You're going to come to all of them? Yeah. So it's an opportunity for us to actually learn about this, and I think that's important because I don't want people to come and think, like, I'm up there like, oh, I'm the fucking master of Shaw yeah, Brothers. Yeah, like, we're but not just going to be up there proselytizing about, like, yeah. all the stuff about Shaw Brothers. We, yeah. We're learning with you guys, so yeah. we don't know everything. I mean, I'm far doing, be it for us to say so much. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm doing no small amount of research to prepare. But right. the point is not the again my expertise, but to interact with y'all and have a conversation with y'all. So hopefully you're excited about that too. Uh, and <laughs> I'm hoping we're also going to have these posters, the ones um, done by Haunt Love. Yeah. So Justin Miller, friend of the show, Justin Miller Haunt Love made uh, two of our four posters, and they're they look amazing. Awesome. They look so He's, cool threatening to print them <laughs> i don't know he's a busy guy so we'll see if he can but if he can hopefully we'll have him for sale at yeah the, at the gym okay all right um so there's good. a thing we do every episode what is it called i don't again? know it's got a really catchy name it's a thing that we say when we go whacking on track. track oh so good i know it's, it's it good. never gets lame to me you know what i mean it I don't is know. lame I to think... me every time every time it's so lame i'm man. so hyped though I know. Well, it's that's, so my favorite thing. That's why I'll do it. Every time you do it, I'll do it. <laughs> we can just Man, be, we can Say just be, me and tell me that when we both unison go whacking on track, that brings you no joy? I didn't say that. <laughs> you just think it's lame. The yeah. The joy that you derive is lame. Who, who said that I, didn't, that I didn't get joy out of it? I wouldn't do it if I didn't get you're joy You're right. Out of it. You're right. I, I stand corrected, Liam. So what have you done lately that is either whack or on track? Oh, Liam? you're going to make me go I first. just did that. I just did that. Don't make me go Command first. Commanded. Did you see that? Command. Um. So. Well, let's just put it out there ahead of time because everyone knows this is true. But let me confirm it for everyone. I don't go to the movies. <laughs> nope. Uh, doesn't I, watch I used to go to so many movies. I, I mean, if you listen back in the day, I was complaining from episode one that I wasn't going to enough movies. Right. But if I knew then how few movies I'd be going to now, <laughs> I would have relished every movie I went to. Uh, I just don't get a chance to go to movies, y'all, and it's yeah. it's it is what it is. Um, I did manage to see a couple things though, right? Uh, and I'm going to focus on the well. Actually, before we even get to the movies, there's something that I wanted to say, but I got focused on thinking about going to shit. Um, a thing that's on track that just happened. I don't know when this came out, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they're friends of the show. Let's say friends of the show. Friends of the show. Friends of the show. Soul Glow. Oh right, yeah. Have a new tape. Uh huh. Just I mean, came out. We call, why do we call it a tape? I, I, I will never own the tape version of this thing. The Bandcamp is. They up. have a new Bandcamp right release that they're calling a tape, and maybe they recorded it on tape. I don't fucking know. I don't know what they do. Point is, it's only three songs because mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely a promo. It's not like a new release. It's like a right. promo for their tour. Songs are hype though. Yeah, I like that band. Everything I know, that band does is amazing. I mean, Ruben's a good dude. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Right, uh, I think Pierce the other good too. the other people in the band yeah. seem cool. I don't know them, mm-hmm. they all seem very nice. I've interacted with them a little bit. Yeah, um, but the band is also badass. Can we just say that? They're like, tough as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that like I, what I like about them, and, and this is a new thing that I'm, I'm trying to get into, is um, heavy bands that appeal to people who don't think they like heavy music. Okay. So, like, we listened to it at work today with my man's Mitch, who I work with mm. at LVAC. Mitch doesn't like heavy music. He doesn't like hardcore. He doesn't like metal. He doesn't no. like. He doesn't. What he doesn't does he like? generally like. But he likes Soul Glow. Yeah. And yeah. 
uh, I think in the same realm, a band like um, Jesus Lizard. Okay. Jesus Lizard is crazy Heavy. people. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus Lizard is crazy people music for people uh-huh. who think they don't like crazy people music. Right. Like, I you, put the Melvins in there too. 100 fucking percent. Yeah, I would yeah, say yeah, that yeah. the difference is Melvins does spill over a little bit. There are legit metalheads who also like the Melvins. Right. But so many metal dudes would like be like, Jesus Lizard, whatever. And it's like, this is, or me? you know what? Another great example, I think, and uh-huh. people can disagree with me, but, um, Drive like Jehu. Right. It's a heavy band. I mean, at but the doesn't time, really fit the heavy. Yeah. Archetype. Yeah. And maybe they're not. I mean, maybe we're being liberal in the use of heavy. Mm-hmm. But to me, Drive Like Jehu is a kind of hardcore in my right. mind. Yeah. For sure. And hardcore kids generally don't like that band. You can't mosh to it, though. I couldn't imagine, like, getting yeah, down to Yeah, but lots of them. <laughs> Look, I, I don't. I mean, people do. But there are a lot of hardcore bands I couldn't. I mean, I think yeah. Tragedy is a great hardcore band. And I think the only thing you can do to tragedy is circle pit or be like a dirty punk who falls <laughs> just, over drunk on people. But like you can't like mosh the way I want to mosh. No, no. Not I mean, the way that Liam wants to mosh. The way that I want to mosh, I don't even like that many bands anymore that play that kind of <laughs> it's like I I'll still mosh for District Nine, but like the reality is like you know A whole I, lot more stretching goes into it. I definitely oh understand. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. No, you're not wrong. There's a there's a few I would still mosh for All at War, I would still mosh for the first Hundred Demons record. Yeah. But like I mean, I love Conceal Blade, but am I spin kicking to Conceal Blade? No, probably fuck you. not. That's not no, gonna happen. Probably not. Anyways, <laughs> all that to say, the new Soul Glow is hype, so that's yeah. that's on track. On track. And the two things I've seen recently that were on track. Uh, one is uh, you were never here. Have you? Oh, I haven't yet? seen it yet. How is it? It's fucking great. Yeah, but it's like great in a way where uh, I was emotionally. You know what? It's funny because aesthetically, in every single way, worthwhile. Uh huh. It would not make sense to compare this movie to, say, a Lars von Trier movie, other than that I loved it and it emotionally destroyed me. Wow. So you know that? like, Yeah, like, that's like, a very Lars von Trier-like thing. Result. But yeah. like the style of filmmaking is nothing like that. It's very right. much a whole other world. So I if you hate Lars von Trier, I'm not trying to turn you off to this movie. Mm. This movie is very much a revenge movie. Uh, but in a done in a very sort of introspective artistic style. It's not a John Wick movie, you okay. know. Yeah. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is hard as nails in it. Oh yeah. But he's not choreographed hard as nails. Like oh. what, what? Like his character's like, look, I have a ball peen hammer, and you're in my way. I didn't realize this is such a violent movie. Like, that. oh, oh my god, my yeah. man. Okay, so for those of you who don't know what this movie's about, Joaquin Phoenix is a crazy man who kills people for money. Right. He's like a hitman. But like the lowest, nothing is sexy about what he does. He okay. looks, he looks like There's a, no John Wick. He looks like a gentleman with a drug problem. Okay, and you wouldn't know he's in any sort of shape until he takes his shirt off, and the shape he's in is like kill muscles, like not like <laughs> sex muscles, <laughs> like you know? prison muscles. Yeah, he looks scary. Okay, and multiple times his weapon of choice is in fact a ball peen hammer. Good like Lord. he's just like you're in my way, and I'm just gonna smash you. Jesus. In a completely unsexy, uncool way, I'm just gonna destroy you right. because I need to get through you to do the thing. Um, and and it's it is a revenge story, but it's also possibly a redemption story. It's a very light redemption, though. So if you're like, wow. I don't like redemption stories, it's like, well, let's just say he's not the worst <laughs> dude ever. I guess is sort of what this movie's about. But uh, not the worst dude ever. But it's dark. I mean, it's one of those things where I can't get into it too hard because I don't want to give anything up. But the point is, he's a dude who kills people for money, and then things go wrong. Okay, and then he goes on the warpath. Wow. 
I I appreciate that. Appreciate that. And then another movie that I I did like. I don't know how I feel about it overall, but uh, I, I saw that uh, the Death of Stalin movie. Oh yeah, everyone's been raving about it. It's funny. It's yeah. really really funny. Um, but it, that's kind of all it is. I guess the thing is, is that it's it's a very tough subject. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I care about Stalin. I, it, it comes. It's a comedy though. Yeah, that's the thing. It's <laughs> kind of a comedy, but parts of it are very funny, and then parts of it are not funny at all. Oh. I think the way that the, the, I heard the guy on, he was on Bullseye, the guy who mm-hmm. directed it. He's People know him. He's done a lot of stuff. Um, I think he was one of the co-creators of Veep, but he did oh. a lot of British stuff. He's a British guy. Did a lot oh, of yeah, he did that. In the Loop. Was that him? Yes, that's yeah. him. Okay. So I think his idea is that every time that the the main sort of committee characters are interacting like sort of in the palace or in the whatever. That's funny. Okay. Everything that happens outside, you know, all the murder and death and shit. (laughs) Yeah. That's not really meant to be funny. No. I'm not sure that that works for him though. So here's my, here's my issues. One, um, I'm just trying to think of how to describe it. The funny parts are funny, Mm. but I'm not sure if the rest of the movie works. Okay. And, I have no emotional connection to this, so it's hard for me to know if I would be offended if I did. Hmm. However, um, at a screening, this dude had someone come who was like alive during this time. Yeah. Young kid, but he grew up in the aftermath of the death of Stalin, Mm -hmm. and he described the movie as heartbreakingly accurate and still hilarious. Fuck. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's great. I think for me... Just for me personally, I was like, oh, that's fun. But I, I just felt like parts of it aren't supposed to be fun, and I didn't right. know if those parts completely worked. Wow. That being said, fucking uh, Steve Buscemi's Steve in there, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, he's brilliant. There's he's a bunch so, of like huge actors in there, right? Everyone a, is great. Everyone's like yeah. a big name, though. Yeah, Michael Palin, I think. And, wow, um, yeah. Jeffrey Tambor. Are the, are oh, the, I love that, Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah, but all that shit just came out about Jeffrey Tambor. He's apparently a bad dude. Oh, I didn't read that. Yeah. What happened? What did he do? Just a abuse of various ladies oh man yeah i mean you know he didn't like murder anyone or right anything, but he, he's you know he's got some bad stuff okay all right to the point where they're i think they're talking about doing trans i, I guess it's called tra- transparent yeah. without him really isn't they're, he like they're, they're okay. considering writing him off the show wow and he's the main dude yeah good lord yeah all right so um all that to say I still recommend seeing it. If you're interested in seeing it, I wouldn't recommend. I wouldn't discourage you from seeing it. Right. But I had I had some complicated feelings about it. But I still think it's worth it. I mean, again, I everyone's great, but Steve Buscemi. Oh my god, I love him. <laughs> I love. Him. He was so good in it. Uh, as far as whack, I don't know. I mean, I've had to watch some shitty stuff for Eric Roberts is the fucking man. So if you uh, <laughs> ever check out the podcast, Eric Roberts is the fucking man. I definitely, but as far as things that I checked out on my own that I thought were terrible, nothing recently. I'm, no. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. Okay. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, I'm good. Cool. How about you, bro? So on track, I watched low life. Finally, big up to oh, episode let's 79. Ta- let's talk, let's about, talk that. about that for a moment. So, so when we did the episode with Ryan Prowse, the director of Low Life, yep, and uh, one fifth of the writing team that wrote it, I yep. didn't, I hadn't seen the movie, and you had seen it last year. Yeah, yeah I saw it at Cinepocalypse, friend of the show, uh, Josh, Josh Goldblum's Fest. And I, what's funny is knowing you had seen it, I meant to rewatch it, 
But I really want to watch it with Susan. I really think she would like it. My oh, wife. my God. Those of you who don't know, that's my wife. And I'd really <laughs> like to watch it with her. And she, we just haven't had time to watch it together. So I didn't get to rewatch it. But I, right. I remember it pretty well. Man, let me tell you, it is so good. So did you believe, when I told you you were going to love it, did you? You be- totally know me so well. That's what that comes down to. And <laughs> you know what, though? I don't really see, I mean, I get why people are comparing it to Tarantino and all that stuff. But right. I don't see the Tarantino in it. I mean, I think it's it, it's only Tarantino in the following ways. It's that a, it's a... It's uh, a very L.A. movie. It's an L.A. movie, and it's an episodic movie. That's the only But that's things. it. But that's yeah. it. Otherwise, the movie stands on its own so well. Well, I think part of the Tarantino thing happened... Because... <laughs> There's a lot of stuff happening here with you, Liam. Sorry, I don't know. I'm just trying to get... There's a lot of I'm grunting... Trying Trying to get comfortable. He was doing a headstand just now, guys. It's I was weird. not doing a headstand. He was I not might, doing a headstand. I might unbutton my pants, though. Pants um, might get unbuttoned. Um, this is the sexy I episode. Think part, of can I say part of the Tarantino thing might have happened because very early on in the life of this movie, it played at LA Film Fest. Oh, and okay. And Tarantino came. Oh. And then he said sort of publicly that he really liked the movie. So so I think that was sort of part of the com- the, the connection was him being like, this movie's great. <laughs> um, but I, I agree with you. I think the movie is... I hate to say this because despite the recent negative stuff about Tarantino, he's pretty iconic. So um, people love him still, or or even if they don't love him as a human, because he's they love his movies. They love his movies. So let's put all that aside for a second. I still think I might like this better than Tarantino stuff. Like I think this is its own thing, and I yeah. and I think I might love it. I think that this has enough of a punkness to it. Yes, that I resonate with that very like loudly you know what i mean like it it appeals to all parts of my cinematic brain right that's what i was thinking too and like this movie like this movie is so fucking complete right in its weird non-completeness you know what i mean like i don't even know if that makes any sense but it's a disjointed movie that it leads to a, a singular end right and it just ties up so wonderfully, and all the ways of getting there are all very interesting and fun. Well, it reminds me of Us, because it's a movie that is uh, both dark and sentimental, which it's hard to do both. Yeah, it's hard to do that and then still be violent and funny at the same time as well. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's dark, it has serious themes, it has real consequences, but it still cares about its characters. It yeah. still cares about your emotions as the audience. Like It doesn't want to completely destroy you for yeah. no reason yeah, yeah, yeah. and it manages to be fucking hilarious yeah, which is so really hard fun. so yeah. fun dude i want an el monstro tattoo yeah el el okay el Let's, monstro is my man in this, in this there's movie. so many good performances in the movie but i have to lift up el monstro yeah i have to lift up um the girl in the 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 lady at the the mom, yeah, the mom, I, yeah, yeah. We're terrible. I forget her name already. Dude, she was so good. She was so good. It, and and like, just I, like because the way she conveys a lot of these weird emotions, that's saying words in parts of the scenes. Like yes. when they walk in and she's just standing there. Yeah, that scene is so devastating to me when it happens. Yes. It blew my mind so fucking hard. I also really liked. Um, I think maybe it's Jeff or something. The, the guy with a swazi on his face. If you see Yo, the trailer, dude, you know there's a guy with a swazi on his shit face. It is genius. Just the fact that that shit came off. Without being the kind of offensive you'd you'd expect from a person whose character right. has a swastika on his right. face, like dude, it's so masterful. He's so sad. 
that everyone is so bummed by his swaz. Dude. He's just so sad about it. And he just is like, look, you got to make tough decisions in prison, guys. But nobody cares. Nobody cares because it's a swazi on his face. Oh, my God. And he wants to eat chitlins and rice as his best friend's mom. Dude, it's so good. It's just so fucking brilliant. I can't even describe. Because, like, okay, I have this thing. You know, if yes. you're like, hey, Josh, you should watch this thing, my automatic knee-jerk reaction will be, there's no way I'm watching that thing. Case in point, I've never seen The Wire. Fuck you. I've never seen Breaking Bad. Fuck all of that. Well, I don't give I a assume, shit. I assume that was because those were TV shows. You're just not watching them because you're mad at people? No, people tell me that I have to watch them. They're the reasons that televisions exist. And I'm like, how about no? Same thing with movies. With movies, it's like, yo, you have to see this movie. I'm like, oh, do I? There's two things that I have to do. Stay brown and die. That's that. And that's the only things, right? I didn't know you were so contrarian. I, you, I don't even you've want brought, to be. You, you've brought this up before, but I, I, I thought I it know was... it's hard to accept. I know it. I know it, right? I'm not, not going to tell you about anything anymore. But then I find these things, though, because you tell me, case in point, I've been reading Saga also on my on, on, yeah, on track. It's really good. And it's so good. And, like, they're... Okay, oh, to be fair, there are people that suggest things, and since I know you so well, and certain people like Ariel, who uh, owns Amalgam Comic Books, told me to read God Shaper, and I loved it. So good. And, you know, big ups to Amalgam and Ariel for, for showing me. That. See, that that kind of thing. But if it's like dudes at work that like I just work with, and I don't really trust their taste or anything, like, yo, bro, you got to see this. I'm like, Actually, yeah. what we discussed recently was that when I tell you not to see something. I automatically watch it and then hate you. Even though I so told wrong. you yeah, not to watch it. I know it. this. I know this. You, for, we are the flesh. You're yes. like, yo, whatever you do, don't watch that. You can actually go back to the Sinbox archive and go to the episode where you're like, yo, whatever you do, Josh, do not watch this It wasn't movie. just you. It was you and Justin Lore. I said, don't oh, watch yeah. it. And I believe you both did. Right. I don't even know. Uh, another one, Bag Boy, Lover Boy. We talked about it with Matt Garrett, director Matt Garrett, and he talked about how much he liked it. Typically, like, nope. Definitely don't want to see anything that Matt tells you to watch. Watch that one directly. Vomited. It was horific. You know what I mean? But, hey, I don't know. Some people love that movie, though. Some people do weird shit, man, myself included. You haven't watched it? Good. Don't watch it. It's fine. I won't. You're good. You're fine. Yeah. Anyway, back to Low Life. I thought that that movie was so fun, and it made me feel so happy that we got that interview in with Ryan because, dude, that movie rules and that dude rules. And I love, too, that you were so willing to go out of your way with me for this interview with a director whose movie you haven't seen and you might have hated. Like, there was a possibility Dude, you could yeah, have hated this movie. Yeah, if I hated this movie, that would have, this would have made this really strange uh, after story, right? Like, right, epilogue. Right, right, but, right, 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 right. Dude, again, props to you because you know what I'm talking about and what I'm loving. I love that fucking movie. I, so, I just got to say, if, you, if you're listening to this and you've had a chance to check out Low Life, go and watch it. Whether immediately. Even if you have to pay money for it. Yeah, it's I guess so that's a good. bum thing to say about a friend who's a drag. <laughs> Definitely pay money for Definitely it. Definitely pay money to see it. Definitely pay money to see it. So, uh, so yeah, on track, Low Life. Another movie that I saw that was on track that I have personal connection to is I saw A Quiet Place. Have you seen it yet? Now, what is your personal connection to A Quiet Place? Grace Kim, who does all the clothing oh, yeah. for Cross Keys. Right. Uh, actually, not just Cross Keys. All the clothing for me it was the um, tailor for the whole movie. Yeah. So what did you think? I haven't seen it yet. I enjoyed it. As I said, I don't get to go to movies. Right, right, right. Well, fear not, Liam, because I do. And I saw it, and I thought, I mean, like, okay, let's be honest with you. 
I knew that Grace had done the thing so because like there was a time when she was like gone for like a bunch of months and she was like, I'm in Poughkeepsie, New York, and I can't tell you why. And this was why, because she was helping with this. So stuff. you kind of knew that's what this was gonna be. Yeah. I knew well, but then when she came out and she wasn't talking about it, and I was like, huh. And then she was like, Oh, the movie I worked on, it's coming out, and it happened to be a quiet place, right? So um going into it, I was like, Oh, Grace worked on all this stuff. So and I love Grace very much, as everybody knows. So um, it was one of those things where I was watching and I was like thinking about my friend. And I was like, this is awesome. Uh, that said, the movie actually is quite amazing. So here was my experience. And actually, this is kind of a funny story, too. Um, Eve, friend of the show, Evo Tomas, came yeah. with me. And we went to uh, like a 3 o'clock screening on like one of my days off or whatever. And we get there. And who should be sitting there by himself but Mr. John Martello, who used to be in Kochiyama with me and was yeah, a drummer yeah, for Rock yeah, Bottom. Yeah, yeah. We're like, yo, John, what's up, man? And he was like, hey, nothing much. And I was like, why don't you sit with us since you're here by yourself? So the three of us are watching this movie. The movie begins. And the movie is such that it is a quiet movie, like the name, right? You're not talking during this movie because it's a silent movie. And like, well, not silent, but like, you know, the yeah. the premise of the story is that there are these monsters and they can hunt you by they can hunt you by sound. Yeah. So we're sitting there and we're watching this movie. All of a sudden, halfway through the movie, some dude comes in and sits next to John and like stabs him with an umbrella. Like whoop, like puts the umbrella in the chair as if the chair were empty. But John's sitting there. He stabs him and John goes, Hey man, I'm sitting here. And the dude goes, Oh, sorry, didn't see you there. And it's like this old dude. Then he gets up and he's making all these noises, right? And he's like, Ugh. And he like hobbles over to some other chair and sits down and then yells, "What movie is this?" <laughs> We're all like watching. Jesus, it was so funny. I couldn't. I mean, I was incensed because let's be honest with each other. The only thing worse than monsters that kill you because of making noises is people who talk during movies, right? I, so, I I've been trying to come up with a witty cinepuncture that expresses our deep disdain <laughs> for, for talking, movie talkers for movie and talkers? movie cell phone people. <laughs> It's movie cell phone people is an edge of privilege unto itself. It is now, horrific. Now, can I ask you something, though? So I haven't seen it yet. Right. Uh, you loved it. Justin Moore loved it. I'm yeah. accepting it's a good movie. Mm. The one thing people said about it, and I wanted to get your take on it. Okay. Was that um, they, they thought it was interesting, or at least weird, mm. how incredibly white the movie is. In the sense, not just of the cast, but -hmm. then also that these folks' life in the post-apocalyptic America kind of looked like some sort of, like, um, Brooklyn-style magazine. (laughs) That, like, they're living a very sort of, like... Um, uh, retro, retro hip life in, in the in the in the in the in the upper New York post apocalyptic era, and another dude was just Did like, you say they're living in the Zagaras? No, in the post apocalyptic era. <laughs> Are you like no, 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 no. post apocalyptic Zagaras? <laughs> no, 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 like, no, no, like no, no, no. Marlton Crossing. That no, one? no, 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 no. Uh, and 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 and, and uh, a guy that I really like. Um, I've, I listened to his podcast. He was just sort of saying, like, he really liked it. He was like, but he had this, like, sneaking suspicion that the movie is actually about, like, um, uh, white people feeling like they can't speak their minds. Whoa. The whole movie a metaphor for, like, we can't say what we really feel. <laughs> We're feeling silent. These black aliens will hear you. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, which, I mean, I think he didn't mean that in a way, just to be clear. We Occasionally people listen to the show and take stuff that we say a little <laughs> too seriously. I don't I don't think he meant that in a very literal sense, but it's sort of sort of jokingly <laughs> was saying that that's what the movie's about. But, but just to say, like, did you feel like... Um, did you feel like the movie was 
particularly kind of like a universal thing, like a thing that people could connect with very easily? Or could you see people feeling like, man, this movie isn't really something I like understand in some ways? Well, I mean, the movie takes place on a farm. Right. Right. And uh, in the new age, I definitely, uh, I mean, it's it's also a singular family. Yeah. So to me, it was, I won't say it was an issue, but uh, like, you know, I didn't think of it because yeah. other things about the movie to me appealed way better. I mean, I hear it's incredibly tense. It's tense, but they hired a, an actual deaf actress. Yeah. And that's to play the deaf character, which I understand to me, like is really kind of important to the plot. It's, too. it's germane to the plot. It's yeah. not put on to just be like, look how inclusionary we are with uh, right, people right, right, with disability. Right, right, right. So to me, casting a deaf character, a deaf actress to play a deaf character is a good move. It's yeah. a brilliant maneuver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like speak what you will to the racial, like, you know, um, to, to like to how it's a white family movie i mean i think the concern with how white it was was partly an aesthetic decision and you know what though grace kim is a korean lady number one <laughs> <laughs> i i don't even necessarily mean their clothes I again think, i haven't seen it but what was i think i think the, it, I think the be, idea was that they were living instead of living like you know a lot of post-apocalyptic films yeah even if you're on a farm you're, you're living raggedy. And yeah, you're, you're barely shitty. getting by. And, and, and these that guys was not a the... little bit look like the Free People catalog from 2016. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get it. You know, yeah, yeah. that but was that was. The does thought. that really beg the question, though? Are free people taking from farmer culture? I no, I mean that's very possible that's, too. It's just uh, again, I'm just asking. Like I said, I haven't gotten to, I haven't gotten to see it yet. I'm incredibly excited to see it. Right. Um, it's I, you know what though for you it's like a parent story. There's like a bunch of parent like daddy daughter angles in there. Yo, let me just put this out there. One of my main thoughts, you remember this. People who listen to the show faithfully remember right. we had we had Sean Bennis sign on. Still, oh, you, still you guys were favorite. bugging on being parents. No, no, no. I wasn't a parent. I wasn't even close well, to Well, no, parent but yet. he was doing the he whole, was saying, like... I can't watch stuff anymore. With daughter with, peril. Yeah, with any peril. Any child peril, he said. He couldn't watch. He Well, I guess at that point, he was starting to become okay with it. But right. that for a long time, he couldn't watch anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I remember when... I've, we found out Susan was pregnant or whatever. I thought I thought of that conversation we had with Sean, and I thought, <laughs> like, I'm not going to be able to watch all this stuff. And can I just tell you all, since we had Maeve, I've seen so many fucking things, including <laughs> a movie in which a child is eaten by her <laughs> own mom. I've seen so many things with child peril, child death, child murder. It's I've somehow not on purpose done the exact opposite of Sean Bettis. It's like I've immersed myself in <laughs> it's, and, and, it's and, baby killing. And like, you know, I, I've always been a little bit emotional about like daddy family kind of stories, especially yeah. like mentor inspiration things. And so to suddenly make the shift from that watching movies with that to dead child movies like how right. did this happen? I don't know what you did. So much anxiety. It's so weird. It gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> It's so bizarre and hilarious at the same time. So I can appreciate it. That's all I'm telling you. Jesus Christ. So uh, other on tracks things that I did. Uh, I played two solo shows. I played uh, one in South Philly with uh, Joe McCarthy and Bored as Hell. I played a solo show with Second Letter, which is ex-members of uh, Inside Out and Far Side. Sure. Um, and we also played with um, Chocolate from California, which mm. had uh, my friend Jason's in that band. Yeah. And we played with old, old Arrows, and that was a good time. That was me and my friend Brian, Brian Adolph, longtime friend. Okay. And then uh, Cross Keys played with H2O, Breakaway, and um, Maximum Penalty. How was that show? That show was insane because it was our first show with our new drummer, Mr. David Wagonshoots, who you'll remember from such bands as 
every band that made any sense to me from 1990 <laughs> to 2008. Now he was in Ink and Dagger, dude. Yeah, he was yeah, in Ink yeah, and Dagger. Yeah, yeah. He was in Lifetime. He was in Kid Dynamite. He was in Good Riddance. Like all these bands, and now he's the drummer in my band. Which right. I don't know if you know, listeners, but that shit is bugging me out seriously. So our first show was this past Sunday with H2O, thanks to uh, um, Joe and Chris and putting us on there and all that stuff. And it was yeah. it was a fucking good time. I mean, you know what it is when you're opening these shows, right? Yeah. When you're the first band on the bill, everyone's standing outside and they're just waiting, you know, whatever. We had a weird reception where everybody came downstairs, so I'm looking out into a crowd of heavily tattooed New York hardcore enthusiasts. And I'm standing there in a very floral and yellow shirt that Grace had made for me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know how this is going to go. I don't know how this is going to go down. Yeah. And uh, we started, and it felt like I was on fire. It felt like we were spitting fire. And um, I, it was one of one of my better shows that I've ever played. And That's great. It's You know, the other thing is playing that church. That shit is so magical to me. That is the best venue in America. I fucking love that church. We grew up to go to shows at that church. You know what I mean? Someone and like, today t- tweeted or posted, like, what was your first show at the church? And Donnie took- Mutt. It took me a while. Was that Donnie Mutt who said yeah, that? Yeah, Donnie Mutt was My about. first show at the church was I Hate You. Oh. The one that One Life Crew didn't show up for. Oh, <laughs> right. You guys remember this? Man, it's Coming yeah. Correct, I Hate You, somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Somebody else. Man. That was my first church show. That's awesome. I had moshed for Coming Correct. <laughs> yeah, you did. At the time, moshing was still very new for me, so this uh. was a big decision <laughs> that I made. That's hilarious. Yeah, my first church show was... Uh, um, battery. Oh, sure. It was battery and rain on the parade, and it was Robbie Redcheeks, a Unabomber yeah, show, yeah, 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 and yeah. Uh, and uh, Lauren uh, Khan, friend of the podcast and proprietor of the Fishtown Animal Hospital. They they were the ones who booked it. Yeah, and that was my very first show. It was also the first time I heard Young Till I Die. Yeah, and I was like, man, Battery's doing this song called Young Till I Die, and I didn't know it was a seven second song. Yeah, so but it was awesome. Oh, and Damnation played, I think. It oh was, yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Yeah. Hey, so Sorry. so you felt good about the show? You felt, felt like really well. good about the did show. Did you guys yeah. sell merch and shit like we that? We did. Cool. So uh, the other funny thing is that my brother Anthony was wanted to come, so I was like, "You're selling merch if you're coming." So he did, <laughs> and people were coming up to him after our set, being like, "Hey, man, you sound really good." Because my brother is also bald and tattooed and with glasses, and <laughs> it was like this weird moment. But he was like, "Yeah, man, people kept on coming up to me and saying that I sounded great," and I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> I'm sorry, Ben. I know he's your brother. <laughs> he looks nothing like me. He looks nothing like me. You, I mean, I believe you two are related. It's not right. like you look nothing alike. Well, I mean, we're but, both Asian. We're both Filipinos, right? right? But, but there's about, I mean... 80 pounds of difference, say, I'd eight, say. 80 yeah. pound difference there. Right. And he has two kids. I don't know. but what, Style-wise, hey. you guys don't even dress alike. <laughs> like It's just weird to me. I don't want to say people are racist, but people are racist. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But um, yeah, there's a lot of really positive feedback. A lot of people came up to me and said that they really enjoyed the set. Mikey Hooligan came up and you bought a shirt and you big know, up to Mike, big up to Mike. It was it was awesome. It was like a really really interesting feeling because I've never really felt that way about a band. I always felt like you know, like bands that I've been in that people have cared about. We've gotten on and then I just you know we play and then that's that. You know what I mean? This one it felt as though I did a thing. That's so, cool. And then uh, last night we played at Boot and Saddle with Make War and with the Lillingtons. And uh, yeah, crushed it again. 
This, this is a two song, two show crush mission. Was that also like a good crowd? You felt good about it? Yeah, we uh, we we got we. It was like a sold out show. I think that's cool. So the, I mean, Boot and Saddle doesn't take too much to look full, and it was definitely very full. Yeah. So it was really awesome, and like friends that come out to see us, and people are coming out to see us for the first time and stuff. And uh, like I said, friend of the podcast, Andy Elijah was there, so it was very good cool. to see him. And uh, yeah, it was a really really fun night. So there you go. Those are my on tracks. Sick. Um, Whack, not much really, not much in the way of whack. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I feel like. Uh, we... Oh, whack! I got it, Morrissey, fucking me up. Yeah, it's funny because you guys had already come up with your anti-Morrissey song. Yeah, and then and then he, he just opens up his mouth and more. says more shit. I'm yeah. like, yo, is he trying to help T-shirt sales? Because let me tell you, it's working. Yeah, did it's you working. guys sell a few of those we fuck did. Morrissey shirts? We really did. Yeah, it's kind of funny and. uh it's, so we played that show at the church, and right before we did that song, Bo was like, tell everyone what the song's about. So I was like, fuck Morrissey, and then the song just started. And as I, as I was looking out over the crowd, I saw a dude just like kind of throw his hand down, get all mad, and then leave the room. <laughs> I was like, man, that guy loves Morrissey. And uh, you know, there, Morrissey has his defenders. He does, and it's so confusing to me, especially in light of this current like Look, Nazi thing. Yo, if yeah. people can support kanye and they can support you know what i mean like yeah there's a lot of people who are just putting their foot in their mouth lately so yeah, it's a lot Morrissey's of stuff he's been putting his foot in his mouth for a long time so if you're still on the boat i can see you're, you're already you're, living a delusional life yeah you're already not coming off and and that's the thing so last night i got to explain myself a little bit more and you know the truth is that this hatred comes from a place of deep love of, of that that's been with me for most of my adult life yeah so i don't know this fucking shut the fuck up morrissey please and just you know, yeah. just go away. Just go away. Yeah. So that's it. All right. Well, uh, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about favorite movie. Like literally one of our favorite. And, and it's funny when we <laughs> settled on this, it was kind of like a throwout topic. Like I guess we could talk about this, this thing. Yeah, because we both know it so well. And now upon that rewatch, now that we're doing it, it's like why haven't we talked about this already? This is one of our favorite. One movies. of the greatest movies ever to grace my eyeballs. The we're Avengers. talking about the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Across the eighth dimension. So good. After the break, we will talk about Bucky Bronze. Bye.
<laughs> so we are here to discuss one of our favorite movies, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. My God, what a movie. This movie is a monster. If you have not seen this movie, I will not tell you that we're going to spoil it because even if we do tell you exactly what it's about note for note, it's not going to sound real anyway. Wouldn't you say? I think that's fair. It, this movie is about a dude, Buckaroo Banzai, who is the half-Japanese son of a, a, a white lady and a Japanese. They're both scientists and the Japanese scientist and the white lady who's a scientist and they have a kid and it's Buckaroo Banzai and he is a doctor. He's a neurosurgeon, but he also is a test pilot and he is also a rock and roller in his band, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, that incidentally does not feature any Chinese people. Uh, just saying, it's called the Hong Kong Cavaliers. This is a little bit weird to me. I mean, the name of all of his groups are weird. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> the Blue Blazer. Yeah, what was yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, the, bl- the Blue... But it's like the Blue Blazer... Uh, oh, what are they called? It's like the Blue Blazer Backers or the Blue yeah, Blazer... Something late yeah, late something. Yeah, 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 it's so good. So basically what happens is this, this character that does all these things, um, he... God, he goes through a mountain. He drives a, a, a test truck through a mountain and he comes out on the other side with uh, this organic thing stuck to the bottom so they use this thing called an oscillation overthruster so that they can uh, uh, drive through solid matter and it turns out that this opens up a portal or uh, a, a way for these aliens that came to New Jersey in 1936 to get back to their home dimension led by John Warfin. And, oh, man, it's just so I much. feel like trying to even elucidate the plot <laughs> of this movie kind of misses the point. Yeah. I mean, okay, so uh, this movie was directed by W.D. Richter. He only directed one other film. And they did movie. write a lot. What was the other film that he directed? Uh, it was something crazy, right? Or no? No, I wouldn't say it was crazy. It was a little movie called uh, Late for Dinner. Right. 1991. Uh, I've never seen it. Never seen it either. I might give it a chance just because he directed it, but from what I understand, it's nothing like this. I mean, granted, how many movies are like this anyway? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it was written by... Him um, and uh, it was another dude, Mac... Um, Earl Mac Rouch. Yeah. Who, um, he wrote only a few movies. Um, hold on a second. All right. So uh, Earl Mac Rouch also wrote New York, New York, A Stranger is Watching... Wired and um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and then this across Adventures of Bakurubatsa across the eighth dimension. Um, and the movie features a crazy cast Peter Weller, John Lithgow, Ellen Barkin, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> it's, un- I mean, it's not the just dude the- from Shawshank Redemption's in there. It's, it's not even, it's not just that the main characters are crazy. I mean, the Hong Kong, uh, what are they called again? Hong Kong Cavaliers. The Hong Kong Cavaliers are a crazy group of people. Like, right. That's a weird group. And it's like but it's also even, it's his cabinet of like trusted members. They carry guns, but they're also scientists. But even uh. the 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 side people and the aliens, the electroids, like you know, <laughs> yeah. the, everyone in this movie it is somebody crazy. I mean, Rosalind Cash. Yo, Yakov Smirnov is in this movie. It's unbelievable. I mean, Clancy <laughs> Clancy Brown, who you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy from Shawshank uh, Carl Lumley. Carl Lumley, like what the fuck? Uh, Vincent Chiavelli, you know, just like a, a, a crazy amount of people who you recognize yeah. were talked into being this movie, which um, 
you know, if you watch, I watched the special features there's on the Blu-ray, there's a, a long documentary. It's actually really long, so I, yeah. I didn't quite finish it. But one of the things they make really clear at the beginning is almost no one who was asked to be in this movie understood what the movie was about. Right. And now many of them still feel like they don't understand what the movie's <laughs> about. Uh, Jonathan Lithgow was sent the script and just up front was just like, no. <laughs> Why would I do? No, hell no. One of my favorite criticisms from one of the articles that Liam had sent me about this movie yeah. is that John Lithgow's character in the movie sounds like an alien trying to do an Italian accent because it's so off the wall and it's so you don't exaggerated. You don't, you don't understand. This is even crazier than you're thinking. In the special features, Jonathan Lithgow talks about how he had a tailor who was uh Italian stereotype, basically. This right. man was just ridiculous. NZO something something. And he basically hung out. He just really went to the student and said, hey, I'm playing an Italian person. Can I just hang out with you and learn your accent? <laughs> so that's what he does. And then he spent all this time with this tailor for like, you know, like a week with this tailor. And then now he's just doing his impression of the tailor. Oh, my God. So then in the movie, he got the guy credited as his fucking dialect coach. <laughs> So and John Lithgow said for years people would call him and be like, Who is this guy that was your dialect coach? How do I get in touch? And John Lithgow's like, He's just a guy, he's just a tailor, I know. I don't know. <laughs> so it's just crazy, you know. But yeah, okay, so he's so he's awesome. playing an Italian man who's not possessed, but but he's, he's his mind is invaded co- by yeah, he's co inhabited yeah. by this alien creature from the eighth dimension. Yeah. Uh, and so he's being both like what's interesting about the way John Lithgow's playing it is he's not um, an alien who just happens to have a weird accent. No. He's a guy who is both the Italian scientist and the alien. And the alien at the same time. Yeah. And so there's different things going on there. Um, he wears two of everything, which is another thing that got noted in one of the articles that yeah. you sent me. He goes, it's so he's, his funny. performance. Oh my God. Okay. So, first of all, one of my favorite anecdotes is, you know, John Lithgow sent the script. He's like, fuck this shit. I don't, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't want to, I'm not in. They, you know, they push and push. Finally, they set up a meeting. He comes in. The first thing the director, W director, the first thing he says to him is say, all right, have you picked out your dress for the Oscars yet? <laughs> and just that statement, Jonathan Lithgow fucking loses it. And then goes, all right, I'll do the movie. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Just because he was like, these people are so crazy. They think I don't under- I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand the movie we're making. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't actually think they're, I mean, that was the joke. He knows yeah. they're not getting an Oscar. Right, 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 right. But, right. okay, but here's the thing. Uh, you know, I think, um, Post Star Wars. This right. movie is post Star Wars. This movie comes and it's out post right? Indiana Jones. It's the same uh, year that Gremlins comes out. Right. It's the same year that uh, Ghostbusters too. I think com- Ghostbusters comes out, and Dune. Yeah. It's the same year that Dune comes yeah. out. So now you've got this sci-fi movie coming out in a year. But I think when- the, the the reason I bring up specifically Star Wars and Indiana Jones, yeah, is that these are both, um, and I, I mean this in a loving way. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Serial jerk off movies. Like these okay. are just like that harken to like a past. Yeah, time. they're like, hey, like, remember these old whatever. This is what Buckaroo Bonsai does in a weird updated eighties way. Yeah. Updated it's, for the time. Yeah. It's right. like, yo, think of all these like they're they're basically they're, there's a whole series of characters like uh Doc Savage and stuff, like right. pre superhero adventurers. Okay. Yeah. Buckaroo Bonsai is a mashup of every pre superhero <laughs> adventurer. Yeah. I now, I don't know. That. Did you watch that video? I I need to I need to credit this. Mm. There's a video. I don't remember the name of the guy who did it, but there's a video. Adriana Gober, friend mm. of the friend show, of show. It to, yep. to me, and then someone else posted it on my Facebook. I didn't see. So if you go to my Facebook, I ask people like, "Hey, does anyone have any good resources on Buckaroo Bonsai?" Buckaroo Bonsai, and also the Shaw Brothers because we're doing that Shaw Brothers thing, right? 
This is who posted this video. And this guy basically is making an argument that Buckaroo Banzai, in a sense, is the ultimate superhero movie. Okay. So he, he's basically talking about the influence of superhero movies and culture and stuff like that. But he, mm. he, his whole thing is what part of what makes superhero movies unique is that they're drawing on this huge history, uh, history of literature that they don't really have to explain to you. So his best example, he would say, is the first Superman movie, right? Mm. So you have this Superman movie. And the movie goes out of its way to tell you every relevant detail about Superman, just in case you don't know who Superman is. Uh-huh. But there's a joke in the movie where Superman, something happens. Mm. Clark Kent's got to change into Superman. He sees a telephone, no telephone booth. Mm. He keeps going. <laughs> the guy points out, there's nothing in the movie to explain this joke. Right. This joke only works because you know who Superman is. Uh-huh. And you know he changes in a telephone booth. Right, right, right. And he then points out how... Uh, the watermelon? We'll get there. Right. So he then points out how this is what all comic book movies do. They uh-huh. do this metatextual thing. Uh-huh. So like in X-Men, would you prefer we were wearing yellow spandex? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And that at either a humorous level or even at a narrative level, comic book movies inevitably, they're connecting to that culture. They're connecting to that right. thing. And they're explaining or not explaining themselves. And they mm. do this in comic books too. So for example, two great examples right now in comic books. Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. A character who used to be a superhero and then due to trauma stops being a superhero. Yeah. And Ms. Marvel, a superhero who's fucking obsessed with superheroes. Right. What both of these narratives assume is that superheroes are a thing and you already know what they are. Right. And their, their stories only make sense because of that. Mm. The watermelon. Yeah. The watermelon is the most perfect aspect of Buckaroo Banzai that points to something, which is that there's no later. Right. Right. What Buckaroo Banzai does is that the movie, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, is basically the third movie in a franchise <laughs> in which you've never seen the second movie and you will never see the fourth and fifth movie. Right. It just exists. And it does all <laughs> the metatextual stuff that every superhero movie or sci-fi franchise or you know anything that's part of a canon... Yeah, it does all those things. Only there's no Other fucking canon, yeah. and part <laughs> of the reason it does that apparently is that the author, you know, the main writer of this movie, had been working on a version of the script uh-huh. since 1971, right, or something like that. 71, 1970, I think. Was like. Yeah, and so what you're getting is his tenth version of this thing, <laughs> and he just hasn't bothered to include you on all the shit he wrote before then. So good. And now this might sound completely. Discon- completely bonkers completely disconcerting even as a, as a viewer but because the performances are amazing and because the movie just is like look you don't need to know who the you know blue blazer backers are you don't need to know the radio whatever you don't need to fucking know you don't need to know like in two seconds it's like oh this character oh it's a twin sister of my dead dead wife dead who wife. I married and fell in love with yeah. and now she's gone so you, you, you don't need to know and like <laughs> In doing that, it does something magical. And the watermelon... So for those of you who haven't seen this movie... There's a scene where they invade Yo-Yo Dine propulsion systems, which is a factor. No, 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 no. This happened at... Did this happen at Yo-Yo Dine? I thought yeah. this happened at their place. No, this happens at the end. No, when, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no you're no. right. This is when... Uh, the when, aliens... When Raw The bad aliens... The, the red... Uh, Leptons. Ele- electroids. Electroids. Ele- electroids. Yeah. Get into the Buckaroo Banzai complex. complex, which is huge. And they're trying to get the oscillation overthruster. That's and so goal. Jeff Goldblum is casing the joint, or not casing, but they're, they're basically sweeping the joint to find these aliens. And Jeff Goldblum is with another character. With Reno. And, and they go into a room, and there's just a watermelon in a vice. <laughs> yeah. And in the scene, they're walking with their guns up. 
And Jeff Goldblum is talking to the other guy, Reno, and he's like, what's that watermelon doing there? And he just points at a watermelon that's stuck in a vice. And Reno goes, I'll tell you later. And then fade out. <laughs> that's it. There you go. And then the yeah. movie just keeps going. Swoops in next There's scene. no later. And that's how the whole movie The whole yeah. movie's like... Apparently on the Blu-ray, there's an explanation for the watermelon, though. No, this is not no? true. I oh, have man. the Blu-ray. I've never seen an Dude, explanation for the watermelon. That's so... Oh, but you never saw the intro, though. The original beginning with Jamie Lee Curtis's Buckaroo Banzai's mom. I don't mom. think that's on the it, Blu-ray. It is. Well, I don't know if it's on the Blu-ray, but I've seen it. I know it exists because I read about it on IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it where it's her and the the Japanese uh, scientist, and they're like yeah. getting ready to do a scientific did we, thing. Did we say that he's a samurai, too, basically? Oh, my God. He is. And dude, he's a rock star, a samurai. I'm in one of the surgeon, scenes, they're in, in in the beginning of the movie. They're on their way to a gig, and they're in their tour bus. And Buckaroo Banzai is sitting there in like a kimono and like samurai pants with a headband on, doing a bow over a sword, while Perfect Tommy and the other guy and Rawhide are talking to him about their mission or whatever. It's so, and that's on his tour bus. I mean, in a real way, this is art. <laughs> it is like nerdy, goofy, like yeah. geeky art. But it is definitely like it's a movie that doesn't care. Like you just have to get on board. You just have to either if, enjoy it or not. I don't you, know anyone you, who doesn't like it also. I do know people who don't like it. Do you? Yeah, they're monsters. Why? And I hate them. Why do you hang out with weirdos? I didn't say I hung out with them. I just oh. I know that they exist. Right. Man, not I mean, fun. here's the thing. You have to be willing to say, look. There's a lot of shit in here that is not moored. It doesn't have an anchor. It's yeah. just out there. Just floating. And I just the... have to take it. And then if you do just take it, you can see the absurd, Joy. fun beauty of it. Yeah, let's talk about the fact that it even exists in New Jersey. This movie takes place in New Jersey. They play, not all of it. Not all of it, but they play a club in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where the right. guy's like, hey, here, you're just like every other band. And then the guy, the Reno dude's like, is that what you want? You got it. And he like throws confetti. Oh, my God. It's so wonderful. It's so great. So, okay. So here's the thing. Um, let's, let's take this a bit by bit here. Okay. Let, let's take a little step back. Peter Weller in this movie. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Peter Weller, is he most well known for RoboCop? RoboCop in this, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think there's got to be other stuff. Too. I mean, yeah, he was in uh, he did Sons of Anarchy movies. and like, he, you yeah, know. but I mean, I think he did normal. There was a reason he got this. And it, the it, other uh, consideration, as per the article you sent me, was Tom Hanks, and they said no because they didn't see him as an action star. Sure, <laughs> but I mean, Tom I think Hanks. okay, pe- people might know Peter Weller too from uh, Naked Lunch. Oh yeah, 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 fine movie. Yeah, but that uh, was after this, wasn't it? That was after Buckaroo. Yeah, Bunker. I'm yeah. just saying that there's other things he was in. I mean, I think he was in some normal shit too. Because you just say you just say RoboCop and Buckaroo Bonsai, it's like oh, so he's a crazy person. Yeah, it's like oh, so he's basically like uh, what's his name from Friday the Thirteenth and Back to the <laughs> yeah, Future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that guy. So his whole vibe is he's cool. He's too cool for school. There's he's, a lot of smiling. He's, he's he smiles a, a lot. He's in the this coolest. He, he's also dressed like Pee Wee Herman a lot. In he's this relaxed. He just doesn't. Nothing bothers him. Everything is fine. It opens with him doing brain surgery. His you say Pee Wee Herman, but actually his style icon is definitely Adamant. He is. Yeah, Adamant. he's definitely an Adamant like special ska from that era. Yeah, imagine yeah. Adamant uh, only tough his face is like robocop he's got a murderer's face yeah, he yeah. just looks like <laughs> I, and he's he somehow is both completely detached and in control but still very kind yeah so okay so uh let's i mean we kind of flash through but 
the beginning of the movie is definitely the setup of where we see him. He's a surgeon. He's a scientist. There's he's a, a rock scene. star. And then <laughs> while they're playing the show, he stops because he can sense that somebody's someone's, crying. Someone's not having fun. Someone is very sad. <laughs> in a crowded club and in he, New Brunswick, New Jersey. And he needs to check in with them. Yeah. He's like, is someone out there not having fun? Is someone out there crying? Then at a certain <laughs> point, she he, he's talking to this woman. She's distraught. Mm. She's upset. Yeah, she pulls out a gun. Ellen Barkin. She pulls out Ellen. Well, Barkin. no, no. He starts serenading her with a beautiful version. Right. They're playing this rocking song. He's got right. a trumpet. It's and, like and so generic '80s rock, by the way. Yeah, and then he stops it to talk to. He's like, "Is someone out there?" Sure, crying? sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And then he does this beautiful version of "I don't have anything since I don't have you." But she's real sad, and she's real sad. And she's crying, and he's playing this like. Oh. But here's the thing: she pulls out a gun. Yeah, she's not going to shoot him. She's going to shoot she's herself. Trying to kill herself. And a waitress accidentally bumps her elbow, and she shoots the gun into the air. And the entire band pulls out weapons. So this is the thing. <laughs> We've already established that these gentlemen are hip and funny. Yeah. They're scientists, brilliant scientists. And, and they're, they're, rock they're rock stars. And then it turns out they are ruthless killers. They're like, also a, strapped down. In a second, they've got a million guns. They're yeah. just ready to shoot. Like, and, ready yeah. To <laughs> One dude has double Uzis. It's so eighties. So good. The double Uzis thing. It's so oh, easy. My goodness. Yeah, I mean they're probably not Uzis. They're probably Mac Dens. Whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah. The point is, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and they, then, they're on stage when they pull the guns out of their like trumpets and shit. And to be fair, this there's two real motivators of this movie. I mean, of course, part of the motivation here is you're being introduced to the world of Buckaroo yeah. Bonds, and that's part of it. But there's two, let's say three. There's three main sort of um, t- touch points. One is um, Buckaroo Bonsai has, with the help of this older Japanese scientist, he's gone to the eighth dimension. Yeah. It turns out the that they've sort of attracted the attention of the creatures there. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, this Japanese scientist, he tried this already with this other Italian scientist who then became possessed by one of these creatures. Right. So then that's one thing. Then there's the Alan Barkin plot line, which is she looks she's, exactly like his. She's the twin sister. Yeah, he figures out. He deduces she's the twin sister of, of his a person dead wife. that he had married and is now gone. And then the last thing, which is kind of less important, but I think it's it's also helps us get into the world of Book Rubanzai, mm. is that he meets Jeff Goldblum and just says, if you can play an instrument, you can be part of the crew. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum shows up in a fucking Roy Rogers outfit. He's got chaps on and a red what? cowboy Why suit. Why is he dressed? But it Look. makes sense. It doesn't even feel weird is the thing. And then he he's getting, <laughs> he's he's open to it. Like, he knows who Buckaroo Banzai is. But he hasn't seen the insides of the world. So he kind of works a little bit as a way for you as the audience member to get to, to know get the world. To get into the world of Buckaroo Banzai. And Banzai. he helps him figure the, This is the other thing. It's not just that Buckaroo Banzai is brilliant, right? Uh-huh. Buckaroo Banzai is gone for a little bit. He, you know... He, Aliens. There's so all this there's stuff this goes press on. conference where they're talking about it, and the aliens inv- invade the press conference. They kidnap the doctor, the the Japanese scientist. Oh, but the aliens. So uh, this is the other thing. This whole movie is also a Cold War thing. Yeah, like because what's going on is there's these bad aliens who've been trapped in the in the eighth dimension, but then there's also the, the good aliens from Planet Ten. From Planet Ten, and they're and, watching all this stuff happen. And on the Earth. good aliens are like, look, these people are too dangerous. So if you don't take care of them, we're gonna we're going to initiate a nuclear holocaust basically yeah, we're gonna start world war three from your airspace into russia so they zap buckaroo bonsai so he can see the aliens now because they're disguised as humans but and he can see dude them. so it's funny because they set it up where he they say hey buckaroo bonsai there's a phone call in the, for you and he's like who is it and they're like it's a president and then he goes president of what <laughs> like the united states so good 
so good. So he goes and like he goes to a payphone in this like hotel where they're having this press conference on him oh riding through a mountain. God. And when he puts the phone to his ear, there's this electric shock, and now he can see the aliens. <laughs> okay, you know what? It would one way to talk about this movie is do what we're doing, which is like there are so many weird <laughs> and interesting aspects to the plot of this movie. Yeah, we could just tell you, we just walk you through the plot. And that would be amusing in and of itself because it's so <laughs> insane. But we should we shouldn't do that. Let's stop. We've told oh you a lot God, of the there's plot. There's so much in this there's scene, though. So much though. But let's just say this: it's not just the plot itself. There's a lot of first of all, there's a lot of written lines. But what's crazy about this is in a in a script this dense and crazy, it's so there's quotable. still there's still all this ad lib. So they're at, <laughs> so when they're at the press conference, right? Yeah. There's this like nerdario character who's introducing them uh-huh. and he says uh something about like, Oh, you don't want to hear me and the <laughs> perfect time is like, and, We don't. And he goes like, You got that right. <laughs> yeah. And the dude reaches over and pulls out his mic cord. That whole so scene, good. both the line and the mic cord, completely improvised. Oh my god! There's it's a lot so of shit great. like that, and and so um or like uh our man the the aliens are doing crazy shit the whole time. Basically, you have John Lithgow's character who is he's possessed by an alien, but he's still a human. Right. Then you've got the aliens who look like humans, but they're actually aliens. They're actually disguised. The, they're aliens. The one guy's name is John Big Booty. Big Bootay. Big Bootay. And everyone says Big Booty. <laughs> this guy hates John Lithgow's character so much that one humor plot, is, the humor uh, thread going through the whole movie is just his fucking shade at John Lithgow's character. <laughs> Every time he's talking, he just looks upset. At one point, they're torturing Buckaroo Banzai torturing him uh-huh. my man is just eating fritos in the background like that's just a normal thing like i'm at the torture i'm just eating some fritos yeah. they're electrocuting buckaroo <laughs> oh my god there's a point where um there he's trying to get him to john scott's character is trying to get him to fix the screen and he's not doing it right and he walks out and he smacks him in the fucking face <laughs> to fix it again completely improvised this is john lithgow so good being crazy so Okay, so I think uh, we talked a little bit about this, but I want to I want to get at this thing here, Josh. I mean, we've been dancing around a little bit, but what is it that really what connects for you about this movie that makes it? Here we are, years later, we've seen it a million times. Yeah, Um, it's something that yeah, there's a bit of nostalgia there, whatever. But you can watch it now. There's no, for me at least, no embarrassment. No, I can't believe I used to like this. It's mm. like a total connect. In a way, beyond like recently we talked about Howard the Duck. Uh-huh. We talked about Temple of Doom. Right. And they were problematic in, in the eyes of 2018. Yeah, but there's no part of me that feels any embarrassment, shame, or anything. Like, this movie is fucking amazing, and when people tell me it's not amazing, it's hard for me not to judge them. Yeah, no, I'm with that. The only thing what, that I... How do you connect to that? Well, okay, the only thing that I found to be, like, mildly, like, hmm, is uh, Penny Pretty's character in that she's still kind of like the rote damsel in distress, you know? She's like... Yeah, this. that's fair. So that's the only part of this movie that hasn't aged well for me. Yeah, I mean, I think they could have given her... A little bit more agency. They could have painted her... Because, like, in that press conference, she's like, oh, I get it. And she has this, like, epiphany of what he's talking yeah, about, yeah. these lofty concepts, and then yeah. she feels embarrassed, and you're like... Listen, I get it. You're that's like a dumb blonde joke kind, you know. So that's the only thing. But that's it. Otherwise, Buckaroo Banzai essentially is an everyman. Literally, he is an everyman. 
And but, I mean, other than the fact that he's a samurai rock star. Well, but that's the thing. Him. That's every man, right? But he's also not every man. He's not. He can't achieve unassisted flight. He's not super muscly or anything. Like he's not like a super tough guy. He literally could be a neighbor, right? And the joy of this movie is seeing how much of a blanket you can, how much of an intricate tapestry you can weave yeah. through one person who does all this stuff. And all this came to me as I was watching it. Like he's one dude. But he still is all dudes to these people. You know what I okay. mean? He's got a fan club that joins him on his missions. They literally give a child a, a machine gun. Yeah, and they put him on part of one of the roles in their in their little caper. It's dude, this movie is so amazing to me because of the multifaceted character that is Buckaroo Banzai. Huh. Okay. That there is a pop element to it that has all these eighties new wave tropes. But it's still homely. It's still like it's still comforting in a way that a guy with a gun and a guitar shouldn't be, hmm. right? Like, yeah. And that to me has been the thing that makes me still come back to this movie and watch it and have as much fun the first time as I did the last time. Every time I see it, and yeah. I'm, I'm a ritual rewatcher. This is one of the movies I've seen a thousand times. And yeah, they, we really like to watch things over and over again. Well, again, I, I enjoy putting things on while I do other stuff, and sometimes I don't feel like listening to music. When I was sure, younger, sure, like sure, so, sure. I used to work at Wawa, and I'd be like, "All right, I have like two hours left in my shift. If I put Buckaroo Banzai in right now, where would I be?" And like, I would track it this mentally for the rest of my shift in terms of where I'd be in the movie. That's actually insane. I know that's crazy, saying. but it works. It works. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, so that's I, I think that's that's the thing. And every character in this movie could be their own movie. You have Perfect Tommy. His name's Perfect Tommy. There's a part in the jail when when they're when he Buck Rubanza is getting Alan yeah. Barkin and uh he's like, Tommy, give her your jacket and Perfect Tommy's like, Why? And Buck Rubanza looks at him and he goes, Because you're perfect. <laughs> so good. He goes, You have a point there. Oh man, it's so good. Every single side character. Note, side note, also improvised. Was it? That scene was written just to be between Buckaroo Banzai and Ellen Barkin's character. Uh-huh. And the director was like, perfect Tommy is going to be in the scene. And Peter Waller was like pissed. Like He's like, why? This is stupid. Why is he here? It doesn't make any uh-huh. sense. But then when they were doing it, Peter Waller just, just improvised the whole give her your jacket thing. Dude. And it's like, you know, and, and <laughs> the, just that they have that level of interaction and it's so iconic. And it's just a thing that they figured out, you know, like, yeah, I think part, okay. I think part of what's going on in this movie is I will agree is Buckaroo Banzai, but I don't know that it's Buckaroo Banzai, the character for me. It's mm. more just that I think Peter Weller is one of the most underrated actors. Yeah. Ever. I would agree to that. He's so smart and he's so insightful and he takes a character who could, I mean, there's no emotional connection in some ways. Like you, we don't get to see Book Rubanzai uh vulnerable and whatever. <laughs> yeah. He just is badass. Yeah. And yet Peter Weller adds a depth to it where you're never like, Well, this fucking dude. It's yeah. like there's something there at all times. And that's amazing to me. But then it's also then not just about him because it could just be Peter Weller killing it and then the rest of the movie's like, Well, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. Every aspect of the movie, it's, it's, it really comes down to this idea that like, um, love is in the details. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that's on track, I didn't mention it on track, but I want to mention it now. Mm. I've been obsessed with, uh, Queer Eye. Queer Eye for, well, it's just called Queer Eye now. Okay. It's on Netflix. <laughs> uh, I used to watch the old one back in the day just 
because shitty television and I was doing homework and I just yeah. have it on the background. Right. And I kind of liked it just because like the one, the fashion dude would occasionally bust out like Ben Sherman and Fred Perry. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah man, I feel work. that. I feel that. <laughs> well, the queer eye now is a whole other thing. Right. Before it was just mindless. I mean, it was cool because it was supposed to be like uh tolerance for gay people or some shit. Mm. I don't know if it did that, but that was what it was for. Right. The new one is like so emotional. It's like, look at this person, we're going to help them and they really need it and it's like, we're going to empower them to see how beautiful they are and multiple episodes. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> but one of the things they talk about when they talk about, they oftentimes will be working with some person and they're helping them to care for their partner. Uh-huh. It could be man or woman, but it doesn't matter. They're caring for their partner. One of the things they always say is like, love is in the details. It's in mm. the details that you think. I don't, I can't think of a piece of art, at least a piece of popular art, where mm. that is more obvious than in Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah. That the weird fucking details that they cared about to make work, to make mm. click, really communicate something about this movie. It gives yeah. it a texture that sucks you in. And, and, and again, you don't feel like you're watching, at least for me, I don't feel like I'm watching something incomplete in itself. Yeah. I'm incomplete. Because I don't know... <laughs> I didn't. I'm. I, you know what this reminds me of? And again, this comes a little bit from that from that video. So sorry, I'm not trying to steal your ideas, dude. But one of the things he suggested was like the way that Stanley would reference things in comic books. Mm-hmm. True believer. You may remember this from issue. Yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah, yeah. It made you want to find that issue. Mm. Um, in that sense, this movie, all the parts that are unexplained, mm-hmm. it just makes me feel like I didn't read the issue yet. <laughs> Like, right. I, you know, some people don't do this with comic books. They want to get the full run. They want to have all the issues and read Start it all to together. Back, yeah, like the one trade. I very much as a kid, especially if you were buying back issues, you couldn't find all the issues. Yeah, so you, you had just to go to like weird stores that had them. Yeah, you would just get what you could get and you'd yeah. read it and maybe you don't understand all of it, but you like what it. That's how I feel about Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah. There's I a bunch of comics I haven't read. I didn't read the comic before this one. I didn't read the one after this one, but this is wonderful. This issue is great. Yeah. It's so fucking it's good. So good. And, and so that's like for me, that is part of the magic that sucks you in is that the movie has no insecurity about that the movie knows you want to know what that what you want to fucking know what that watermelon's about <laughs> but oh well you'll just have to come back yeah. next time and find out hey man and nothing makes that work more than the end yeah has there ever been a more mysterious credit sequence than the fucking cast of Buckaroo Banzai just walking, walking through the through L.A. River, yeah. just walking around <laughs> to that little just happy normal. music song. That's just normal for them to do that and just look cool while they're doing it. Why are they doing this? <laughs> what is even the point of them doing this? It doesn't matter. Because so I'm just sold. Like, yeah. Like, honestly, the way it ends, that credit sequence, it feels like the ending to a cartoon show. Like, yeah. I'm going to come back next week and there's going to be a new adventure. Something's you know? going to happen. Yeah. Um. And I don't know. I, I Did you think that the end of uh, the Life Aquatic was a nod to this? Because that was one hundred percent. I think yeah, it is. Yeah, like without a doubt, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, I think, have made references to this movie. Yeah, like it's it's a movie that impacted, I think, a lot of people. One know? of the articles that you sent me talks about how there's a reference to Thomas Pinchon in the movie. Yeah, and it's so buried in there that people think that the people who wrote Buck, the dude who wrote Buckaroo Bonsai, is actually a secret identity of Thomas Pinchon, who's like. A known reclusive, like nobody knows who he is, kind of thing. Huh. It's pretty ridiculous, like conspiracy. I don't, theory. Yeah, I don't think. I but I, I think it's funny that a conspiracy theory like that can be given rise to from Buckaroo Banzai. You know what right, I mean? Like right. that shit alone. 
It's like that's how much in this culture of the eighties this movie was ingrained. Yeah. And it's oh it's so brilliant. It's so fucking Yeah, good. it's so good. I don't know. If you haven't seen Buckaroo Banzai by now, I my strong suggestion would be that you find a way to see it as soon as possible. I mean, I think this is a case of like we it's hard for us to be too critical because we love it so much. So yeah. maybe there's something we're missing. But honestly, I don't know. I just feel like <laughs> I just feel like it's magic, and and I feel like that um, it's something that filmmakers could learn from. And what I don't mean by that is we need another like they're always talking about they're going to have what's his name Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is going to do a TV, TV show. show Fuck and all you! This. No, you don't have to do that. And I and I, I it doesn't need a remake. And what it doesn't need is another goofy like we'll make a character who's also this that that's yeah. not the the magic is make a movie that you that, love. Well, no, this is what I was going to say. Make a, make a movie or story or whatever it is that's in a world where we don't have to know everything about the world. Yeah. We're going to figure it out. You're going to let us think it. And you're going to make those weird connections for us a little bit. But we're also going to make our own stuff. connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to read what we want into it. Yeah. I just Give us that room. Everything about that, I think, is what makes this movie kind of snap. And it's kind of what makes movies magical to me. The yeah. The fact that the filmmaker doesn't assume that I'm an idiot and that I have the freedom to take a movie and enjoy it on my own terms. And that's very much what Buckaroo Banzai is. It's a movie that if you're willing to enjoy it, if you're willing to give yourself to the disbelief that was required to, to fill in the gaps, as you said, this movie is that. Yeah. This movie is made for that. And I love it. I think, um, this is a weird thought I just had, but I think you could do this as a fun double feature with, um, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Last Starfighter. Last Starfighter. I think you could do this as a cool little feature. I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. Save the Green Planet. Oh, hell yeah. Because it's, I think Save the Green Planet similarly is a movie that's just kind of like... Like you just have to accept certain this things. This is what's happening. Things. Yeah. This is what's happening. Just get on board. <laughs> um, and honestly, it, it, it is in some ways unrelated, but it, it, it does the same sort of aesthetic world building. I think... Low Life, a movie we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Low Life is a movie that's like, you don't need to know everything. We'll just spell it out, and it all builds through this crescendo. Yeah. And whatever else is going on doesn't really matter. It's just this this moment. You know, it's it's not quite the goofiness or, or the comic bookiness of uh, Buckaroo Banzai, yeah. but there it is that feeling. It taps into that vein. But I think there's a respect for the audience yeah. there. And that's essential, I think. that's yeah. it. All the great movies respect the audience in this way, I feel. It's possible. Yeah. Or disregard the audience in the same kind of way. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also you know? true that Buck Rubanza is kind of like, like oh, guys. are you yeah. not on board? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> We're just doing this yeah. thing. This is what it's going to be. It's so great, though, man. It's so good. Big Trouble in Little China does the same exact thing. It's like getting into a story halfway through it being told. Yeah. It's so good, though. Yeah. It's so good. I don't know. Same thing with Escape from New York. All the ones, you know, like. Dude, you're getting there when Snake Plissken's on his way to jail. So you don't yeah. even know like what happened prior to that, who made him Snake and all this other stuff yeah. until you get into the movie. Yeah. Do that, directors. Come on, yeah. man. Throw us a bone. We love it. <laughs> Throw us a bone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's what we got to say about Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. We're going to wrap up so Josh can go see Avengers. Uh-huh. I'm going to do it. It's going to be good. Liam looks tired anyway. Yeah, I got to drive home after this. Oh, man. Such uh, a far drive, guys. It's so far. Fart drive. Speaking of far drive, 
you should check out our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we know we don't always produce. That's part of the agreement of Patreon. You're paying us to produce. We don't always produce. <laughs> we're we're making efforts and striding we're, we're steps. Try to, we're going to try to make it happen. And this is what I say. If y'all step up and put more money in the Patreon, we will make sure to produce. And we will step up and put more talking in your ears. Yeah. And we got some new things coming. We haven't talked about that in a while, but there's a couple of new show ideas we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping to do a cool new show with uh, Adriana Gover about uh, Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight. Um, there's some other people working on stuff, some of which I can't really talk about yet, but new cool things. And then, of course, there's always the writing on the site. And if you are interested in writing for the site, we're always looking for new people to write for the site. Um, yeah, so hit, hit us up, but also check out that Patreon. Um, and if you are someone, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, Yo, hey, man, I should be on that show. Oh, I was going to say that. I was going to go this way first. If you are listening to this and you are someone who just signed up recently for the Patreon, you're like, yo, when do I get my shit? I just want to remind you, Patreon is a two-way site. So if you've <laughs> not gotten whatever it is you need to get yet, hit us up, please, because we're trying to keep track. But, there's, you know, no one is doing this professionally. This right. is a this is a hobby for everyone involved. So please, 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 if for some reason I forgot to send you something or I forgot to ask you for a topic for a show or whatever it is that is your benefit for being on Patreon, you know, let me know. And if you haven't checked out the Patreon yet, there's all kinds of cool things. You get free t-shirts. You get to suggest ideas for the show. Um, if you're in the area, you can hang out with us. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> so hit us up. Let us know what's up. Um, and, you know, the best thing you can do for us, really, is just to tell your friends about the show. I rate, mean, yes, review, and subscribe, as rate review, subscribe is great. It gets us up on iTunes. But I will settle at this point for you convincing one friend to listen to an, to episode. Listen to an episode. Maybe um, it's about a movie that you both enjoy yeah, that we true. had already covered. Or maybe you want to know about Low Life by Ryan Prowse. <laughs> maybe you want to know more about Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. I don't know. In theory, we also want to have new guests on but honestly we actually at this point considering how hard it is for us to record have a fucking huge list of potential we guests really do actually we just there are really people fun. who are like yo when am i gonna be on the show and i'm like yo man i don't know we'll, make <laughs> we'll it get it don't worry about we're it, trying man. to make it happen we got you we got you i guess that's about it though that is it that is it thank you for listening and um we will be back soon yep sooner than another month yeah yeah definitely all right thank you for listening episode 80 done We'll talk to you later. Smoke bomb.